Well, here it is, guys. Another week, another incredible episode on this podcast. Tune in. You guys are going to be moved. You're going to be touched. Incredible stories about a ministry that uses the power of ultrasound to serve women, save babies, and share Jesus. We have an incredible culture here in the state of Alabama, but our politics and public policy don't reflect the people of Alabama. Media drives culture. Culture is what drives politics and public policy. Welcome, everyone, to 1819 News, the podcast. I'm Brian Dawson, CEO of 1819 News and host of this here podcast. As always, we have an incredible episode for you guys today. Really, really excited about it. I had some folks driving in from Montgomery uh, to record it, as well as myself always driving in from the Montgomery area to record it. Um, But before we jump into that, I want to let you guys know we need you to join the fight. What does join the fight mean? Well, at the end of the day, we're a nonprofit news organization uh, that operates on behalf of the people of Alabama. So we need the people of Alabama to financially support the work we're doing as we investigate and do deep dives into corruption in the state, as we bring you guys information that you need to know and tell you why it matters. And as we begin to share stories uh, like we're going to do today about the things that are good, true, and beautiful about Alabama that you didn't know about, we need your guys' help. So go uh, anytime you're on an article uh, on 1819 News, in between the headline and the and the uh, the body of the the actual article, there's a, a place where you can sign up to support at a five dollar level, ten dollar level, eighteen dollar nineteen cent level, or fifty dollars, or make a one time gift. Any of those options are available to you guys. So please go and do that. Um, again, that is going to be our model moving forward that makes us independent and and not uh, owned by anyone uh, except the people, and that's the way that it needs to be. So, uh, also, um, we, if you're watching this on YouTube, don't, um, this episode will probably make it through the YouTube, uh, whatever those people are that cancel every third episode we do and and go back to our old episodes six months ago and cancel them and ding them. And anyway, it's a whole deal. We don't get along with YouTube. YouTube doesn't get along with us. So, uh, as much as you can train yourselves to go to Apple podcasts, Spotify, or rumble, to find the podcasts, uh, as you will have a much more uninterrupted uh, listening experience uh, by using those platforms as they don't um, see fit to be the ones who say what truth is and truth isn't and what, who's allowed to say what. So, um, yeah, well, so today we have uh, Dr. Matt Phillips and his friend Ed Gannon coming in to talk to us about an incredible ministry called Life on Wheels. Um, if you're not familiar with it, I, I, I'm excited for you to hear more about it. If you are familiar with it, I think we're going to dive in at a deeper level than you probably knew before uh, about an amazing ministry uh, that reaches out to women who are high risk for uh, possibly having an abortion. And it's truly the hands and feet of Jesus, the way that these guys operate. Um, and so we're going to jump in and talk to them. And so guys, welcome in to the podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to come up here. All right. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, thank you for having us. Absolutely. So uh, everybody that watches the podcast knows I'm a real big story guy. And so before we jump into Life on Wheels, let's talk about uh, your guys' story. Um, Dr. Phillips, you are the founder of Life on Wheels. Is that correct? Well, I get a lot of credit for it, but uh, God has raised up a lot of founders. But yeah, but yeah I was one of the original people okay. on the board. But All right. And Ed, what is your... Official relationship. Well, Matt and I first met 
a long time ago on a crisis pregnancy center board, and he he was this physician. So when uh, Life on Wheels idea came up, he he came to me knowing that I've done a lot of mission work and yeah, and um, had a heart for uh, crisis pregnancies, and just asked me if I would join up. And uh, I'd been praying for about six months for the Lord to direct me. I wanted to finish the last quarter of my life focused because I've done mm. mission work of a million different things. Yeah. So when he walked in and told me about Life on Wheels, I signed up. But yeah. but, but mm-hmm. I want I want to tell the backstory on that because uh, because uh, Ed Ed has been on extreme mission trips to twenty six countries all over the world. He's been in dugout canoes in the middle of Peru. He's He's done things. He's eaten things that you and I just can't even imagine. And so he smuggled chemotherapy into Russia. I mean, he's done some pretty neat things. He's he's brave. Yeah. And when we decided to park a bus thirty feet from the front of an abortion clinic, you know, I consider that the gate of hell is in, yeah. in our city. I knew we need somebody brave enough to drive it. And when I went, I went over to his 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 uh, place of business, and he he owns uh, the Vintage Olive and. I was asking him for a basket to give it our gala to, you know, raise money. Told him what we we're doing, and and, yeah. he, and he he gladly was giving a basket. But I said that ain't why I'm here. Yeah. And he said, Well, why are you here? I said, I'm here because somebody's got to be brave enough to drive it. So Ed's been kind of uh, he oversaw the the driving of the bus for many many years, and he's he's an MVP on on the board. So that's that's something he wouldn't tell you, but that's, <laughs> that's why Ed's here. All right. Well. Let's jump into that, and then we'll back up. Typically, I just begin with people's stories, but let's start with the story of Life on Wheels. What what is what is Life on Wheels, and how did it come about? So, what you guys have a bus? What's on the bus? Where do you go? Where the you know where the idea come from? Well, the the first time that I saw the power of ultrasound to change the heart of a woman was in my own office, uh, two thousand one. I uh, had a patient come in. She was um, 16, pregnant. Her, her parents brought her in. The dad was visibly angry. Uh, uh, the mom was upset. There was a little boyfriend there who was scared to death. And uh, the dad walks up to him, big Southern man, beard like yours, and he looks at me and he said, I need to know, is she pregnant? Because if she is, we're not having this baby. And you could feel the crisis. It, yeah. was, it was a stress. So I called my sonographers, and I sent her downstairs for an ultrasound. I said, look, you blow that baby up as big as you can, and you show them the heartbeat, and you show them every feature and send her back to me. So she went down. She had an ultrasound, and she came back up, and everybody's countenance was totally different. Now Mm. that big southern man looked like he had seen a ghost. And that mom and that daughter were hugging each other and crying. And the boyfriend looked the same. He still looked scared to death. (laughs) But but then that, that southern man came up to me, and he said, that's a baby. And I said, yes, sir. And he said, we, we can't abort our baby. And I said, I guess not. And, and so anyway, um, eight months, seven months go by, she's termed, she delivers. And I get to come out and announce that it's a baby. By now, the crisis is already melted away. Everybody's yeah. so excited about the baby. And that's the way it always is. And then that same couple uh, actually stuck together. So they were together, and then, you know, four years later, they, they had another baby. Well, wow. well, the first one was a grandson, and then the second one was a, a girl. And my favorite part of the job is coming out the waiting room. I just love that. So I came out the waiting room to announce the girl was yeah. here, and that southern man was holding his grandson, and yeah. he was playing with his beard, and, and yeah. uh, he was holding him, and everybody was happy. And uh, I, I eased up to that man, and I said, how do you like him? 
and tears dripped off his cheeks, and he clutched his son because he knew what I was saying. Yeah. He said, I love this boy. And that's the power of ultrasound. Amen. And so then Amen. after that, um, the crisis pregnancy centers in our city were beginning to go medical, and the first first center to do that was in Prattville, 2004. We, they asked me to be the medical director, and Ed was on the board at that time at that crisis pregnancy center. So that's really how we met. Let me pause real quick, <clears throat> and I, I should have done this in the meeting. So you are Dr. Matt Phillips. What is your specialty in the medical field and all that? I think that I, I should have done that earlier. Well, well I'm, I'm an OBGYN. Yes. Uh, my dad was an orthopedic surgeon. I was going to be a trauma surgeon, but uh, my wife got pregnant. And so yeah. I, I do the happiest job in the world. Amen. There you go. I wanted to qualify you, I guess, for the work that you're doing. So go ahead. You were at the crisis pregnancy center, met Ed, he's on the board. Yeah. And we, and we, and we put an ultrasound in that pregnancy center. We immediately saw results, yeah. real, real results. And, um, we didn't have to yell at anybody. We didn't have to, uh, condemn anybody. We didn't have to, you know, you just show a woman an ultrasound and 89.1% will cancel an abortion mm. because, because what has happened is that woman has not made the next step that, that the, the, the pregnancy is a person, but once you show her on an ultrasound, it's powerful. And uh, so, when we realized that um, we, you know, the pregnancy centers were doing really well with the girls that came, but we were still aborting twenty five, thirty babies every week here in Montgomery, and there were still abortions, uh, you know, really not putting a dent in it statewide. And because we weren't getting to the determined woman, the woman that was absolutely determined to have an abortion. And so uh, we looked um, nationwide that the mobile pregnancy uh, kind of movement was beginning to happen. Mm -hmm. Stork has a, has the a Save the Stork is a really good organization. ICU Mobile was really appealing to us, though, because of the way they do things. It's a bigger bus. There's a lot more chance to counsel and and uh, share the gospel on those buses, and we really like the people out in Ohio, and so we we partnered with them. And um, but that 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 kind of came to be uh, in a roundabout way. It's it's expensive to run a bus. Uh, the pregnancy centers tried to do it; it was too expensive. No one could could pull it off, and we talked about it for over two years, and then. Brian Espy, one of our board members, was a, a, a father of one of the babies that I was about to deliver. I delivered all three of his kids, and he came to a, a prenatal appointment with his wife, and, and he's a little, little fireball Catholic. And he looked at me, and he said, why do we not have a mobile unit in Montgomery, Alabama? And I, Brian was about 36 years old at the time, and I, and I said, well, Brian, it, it's too expensive. Nobody can afford it. And he said, he said, this is shameful we don't. He said, I'll tell you what, you put a team together and I'll raise the money in one night. And he, um, and I just kind of looked at this 36-year-old guy, and he, he works with uh, Ducks Unlimited, and he's done galas before. Yeah. And, and so uh, we began to pray about it, and God put together a team. It took about four or five months to get the team together, and we had our first gala. And Brian raised $110,000 in one night just on an idea. Yeah. And uh, he almost was apologetic because it wasn't enough to get the bus. But but I said, man, you just raised $110,000 in one night, and we put together a team. And then we began to work on it. And from the gala to the time the bus was dropped off in my yard was nine months, which I don't think is an accident. Yeah. And then uh, so the bus came. Um, we had already uh, started the process of getting it licensed. So it's a licensed medical clinic. 
uh, fully licensed, just like any other doctor's office. Um, we use licensed RNs and sonographers to do the scans. So the state sees it as what it is. It's a medical clinic. Um, we do limited services right now. We just do pregnancy tests and ultrasounds to confirm the pregnancy. And we, we're able to park where we want to. So, um, you know, God's been using that little bus because it's mobile. It, it's kind of like fishing. I think of it like fishing. You know, if you're not catching fish, you move to another spot. And, yeah. uh, and that's what we're able to do with the bus. And it's, it's pretty awesome. That's incredible. Hey, Brian, let me give you a quick backstory on how I met Matt. All right. Uh, I'd never heard of Grace Place Pregnancy Center. Didn't know they existed. But I'd done a lot of mission trip, and and uh, but I had a dream that Grace Place Pregnancy Center was going to win an ultrasound. So that morning I woke up and I told my son, I said, I had like a kind of an odd dream, and I told him, I said, you know, someplace called Grace Place is going to win an ultrasound. And my son Barkley says, yeah, Dad, that, that one's even strange for you. <laughs> so we go to church, and our preacher says, we got the director of Grace Place Pregnancy Center here to speak. And my, my arm, I mean, the hair on my neck, I looked across the church, and my son actually stood up and looked at me. He was so shocked. And so after church, I told this uh, director, and I can't remember her name. But anyway, I McLean, said, uh, McLean. I said, y'all are uh, going to get an ultrasound soon. And she, she kind of patted me and said, oh, thank you, sir. You know, they're expensive. And I said, well, okay, well. A couple of months go by, my cell phone rings, and this girl is hyperventilating. She says, I'm out in Oklahoma at a pregnancy center. We just want an ultrasound. <laughs> so yeah. I said, well, way to go. <laughs> it didn't, didn't really surprise me. But then a few <laughs> weeks later, they called me and want me to be on the board. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I said, well, wait a minute, I don't have these dreams. Like, that's not a normal thing for me. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, that's how I met Matt. Uh, wow. Yeah, that's neat. That's incredible. So talk a little bit more about you guys. Um, we'll start with you, Matt. Where where are you from? Where did you grow up? Tell us about your parents, all that. Yeah, um, my, I grew up in Montgomery nearly my whole life. I was born here in Birmingham at uh, Baptist Montclair. My dad was a resident then. Um, we moved to Montgomery. I was three. Uh, been there uh, my whole life. Went to Jeff Davis High School and um, then came back to Birmingham, Birmingham Southern, UAB for medical school, and then um, did one year of trauma surgery at Caraway when Caraway was going, and then I was in a pro-life church here in, in Birmingham. Um, uh, Terry Gensimer was the pastor at that time, and uh, I think you may know Terry. I don't know if you do or not. But Terry is uh, kind of the godfather of uh, pro-life movement here in, in, in uh, Birmingham, pretty well okay. known. He's on our board as well. But that's when I started getting a passion for, for life. And uh, I was planning to be an orthopedic surgeon and um, was in a trauma re residency, and um, God began to kind of – shoved me into OB almost literally against my will. My, my, but my wife was pregnant and was so happy. Uh, Bill McKenzie is her doctor at that time. Lance Radboy is his partner, and they, they delivered our son, very, very pro-life uh, physicians here in Birmingham. And, uh, and really it kind of swayed me into OB and um, went to Atlanta, trained at Emory, had three kids while we were there, and then uh, came back to Montgomery in 2000. So that's I got a fourth kid now we, uh, as well. I don't want to forget her. Grace is yeah. uh, my youngest is eighteen, so my kids are all adults. Grace is going to Auburn in the in, in the fall, and uh, then we're going to be empty nesting. Empty nesting. Yeah, been married yes. been married thirty thirty years. Be thirty one this summer to to Camille, and which is the great blessing of my life. Amen. Someone told me that your mom was a big activist. 
as well. Yeah, yeah. Talk about that. Yeah, mom. Mom is uh, passionate. Uh, she loves Jesus. Uh, she doesn't see uh, anything that he can't do. She she Amen. thinks he can do anything, and so she lives like it. And uh, yeah. she. Um, when there was an abortion clinic uh, on Monticello Road back when that one was open, um, she would uh, regularly pray. She was one of the people that prayed out there, and she'd lay lay Bibles in the in the on the sidewalk there. And uh, that clinic ultimately closed. And I think I think clinics like that close when godly five foot four hundred. <laughs> 20-pound women pray, you know. She doesn't look like a warrior, but she is. <laughs> that, that's such a good point that that I have to constantly remind myself and then remind my team. You know, 18, 19, when we started, it was an idea. There was no way it was going to be possible. Everyone laughed at us, you know, um, and we just bathed the thing in prayer. Like, mm-hmm. you know, God, <clears throat> I literally I was um, got done working at um, – the 2020 election stuff poured out blood, sweat, and tears for like six months straight, 80 hours a week, had to win the election. I believe the election got stolen, whatever. I'm not going to go into that. So I was just disenfranchised and disheartened with what I was doing and said, um, okay, God, you know, and, and then I went to church and my pastor started preaching on localism. Like you can't worry about the white house. You need to fix your house, mm-hmm. right? Fathers need to fix their families. Families are in churches. It's mm-hmm. a local solution. I said, okay, God, how can I use my, you know, gifts, talents, resources, relationships, and abilities that you've given me to make a difference in Alabama? A week later, Caleb Crosby at the Alabama Policy Institute calls me and says, hey, you know, and we start talking, and the idea for 1819 comes up on that phone call, and yeah. it's just like, boom. <laughs> and so if you don't have God out in front of you fighting for you, you probably shouldn't you shouldn't be doing it. <laughs> right? yeah, exactly. And so uh, it's always incredible to hear about other ministries that, that have that um, pedigree as well. Mm-hmm. Um so we're going to hit a commercial break. We'll come back, hear your story, and then we're going to hear some testimonies. Uh, and also, guys, um, we'll be doing a third segment as well that's going to be only for our members. Um, you guys want to go and sign up there, uh, but I'll tell you more about that as we approach that last segment. Let's hear a word from our sponsor. Hey, y'all. It's Allison Sinclair with Alabama Unfiltered. A lot of people ask me, what can I do to actually make a difference in D.C. and in my state government? And one of the most effective things you can do is write an old school letter to your elected officials. It seems super simple, but a written through the mail letter gets their attention much more than an email or a phone call. I use the Quick Letter app from my phone to write letters and it makes it so easy to write all of my representatives in DC and in our state a real letter in a matter of minutes. And so Quick Letter automatically determines your representatives and their mailing addresses. You write or dictate a letter on your phone and tap the name of every representative you want to receive that letter. Quick Letter handles the delivery address, the return address, the greeting, the closing, the signature, the printing, stuffing, stamping, and placing your letter in the U.S. mail. Your governor, attorney general, state legislators, your U.S. senators, and congressmen need to hear from you. And it doesn't have to be elaborate. Actually, a brief, simple letter usually has the most impact. Send a quick letter today and every day. Go to quickletter.com. That's K-W-I-K, quickletter.com, or download the Quick Letter app today. All right, guys, welcome back. And before we jump back into the content, I just want to reiterate uh, the importance of what Jim Hicks at Quick Letters is doing, uh, how easy it is for you guys just to go to the app store on your phone, type in Quick Letter. It's K-W-I-K, Quick Letter. Uh, download the app and start writing your representatives today. One of the most important things we can do as citizens um, in a republic, in a democracy, 
um, all the arguments that surround that whole situation. But no matter what, we do have a representative situation where we have people that are going to D.C., people that are going to Montgomery that are supposed to represent us. And they can't represent us if we don't let them know what it is that we're thinking, feeling, what our desires of it are of them. And so Jim has done that with the Quick Letter app. He's made it super simple. Download the app. Get on there. Pick which representative you want to write. Um, you put in your address and it tells you who your direct representatives are. You can write them or you can write any representative anywhere in the entire country uh, it, with just a click of your fingers. They take care of the printing, the mailing, the stamping, the writing, the addresses, all of the hard parts they take care of uh, for $1.99 a letter. And for every letter you send after that, it actually gets cheaper down to $1.49. Go there, get the app, write your representatives and let your voices be heard. And as we're talking with some some guys in the the, the pro-life space, um, you know, we're, we're about to enter a legislative session post Roe v. Wade, and there's a lot of things that are up in the air. This would be a great opportunity for you guys to use Quick Letter to write your representatives to tell them uh, to uphold, um, you know, life, whatever that looks like, whatever your guys' opinions are, whatever your thoughts are, let them know so they know what to do in this legislative session as it pertains to life. So with that, we'll jump back in to the story um, <laughs> of Life on Wheels. Um, we got to hear Matt's before the break. Um, Ed, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? It uh, sounds like you've got some interesting stories of being a missionary. I got to hear some of those. Um, where are you from? Your family, parents, all those things, how that's turned you into who you are. Uh, yeah, thanks. Um, I was born and raised in Montgomery and uh, two older sisters. My middle sister is four years older than me. And uh, my grandmom also lived with us on my mama's side because we all thought about who was her favorite. And I, I knew I was. <laughs> <laughs> But one of the things that worked in my, my life to get turn me pro-life is um, my middle sister, when she was barely 17, got pregnant. Because this was back in the 60s. It, it was a big deal back then. Yeah. But, uh, of course, uh, in a Christian family, abortion uh, wasn't an issue. But they, she was going to plan on giving it up for adoption. But when she got four or five months along, baby was kicking. And, you know, she'd call me over there. You know, I could feel a foot go by and— and uh, so she she said, I'm not giving up my baby. It's my baby. And then she immediately had another one. She, she married the guy that got her pregnant. And then, but, but since then, I always thought if she had aborted that first child, Jennifer now, the, the little girl, is now 50 years old, got three, four girls, and all of them going to college, do mission work. All that goes away. Yeah. So that always stuck with me about the generational loss of what abortion does. Mm. So... Um, God had just kind of led me in a little ways towards the abortion issue and pro-life issues. And then uh, my first wife uh, actually died of cancer and of uh, melanoma. But um, when I first, she was the most Christ-like person to this day I'd ever met. And uh, I was pretty much uh, a redneck, <laughs> you know, beer-drinking redneck. But, yeah. I, but I bluffed my way through the first couple of dates. And when I said, yeah. I, I grew up in church, had all my catechisms. I knew a lot. Yeah. But uh, I saw and heard that she knew somebody. Yeah. So she actually was the one who brought me to a relationship with Christ. I kind of mm. thought if I went to bed and did more good than bad, then God was happy with me. And if I didn't, I said, I'm sorry, and I'll try to do better tomorrow. Yeah. But she knew somebody. Mm. So she led me to that relationship. And thank God, he, by his grace and her grace, I, I got caught up real quick. And then when she died kind of threw me into a tailspin. My son was two. 
and uh, we got a good friend, Jerry Leachman. I told him I, real estate was going good, and he, I said, but I just don't have much direction. And he said, well, go, come go to Russia with me. <laughs> I got a three-year-old by this time, and I hadn't been out of Alabama but maybe twice. <laughs> and he wants me to go to Russia. Of course, you know, when I told my parents and friends, I think I might go to Moscow, and in the 90s, it wasn't a good time to go. Yeah. You know, it had tanked. Yeah. And uh, they all thought I was the village idiot, you know, like, because your wife just died, you got a three-year-old, and you're going to go to Moscow? And I said, yeah, I'm, I think I'm supposed to go. So I did, and uh, I was on a little board at Children's Hospital helping raise money for the pediatrics oncology department. So I thought, man, if we could go to the Children's Hospital in Moscow, that'd give me some good ammunition. And uh, Jerry, he was doing mission work and had some real good connections over there. <clears throat> and uh so we met Dr. Michon, who was head of the pediatrics oncology department for the Children's Hospital of Moscow, and we went to visit, and it was cratered. That uh, parents uh, had to bring kids their own food, like they didn't have a kitchen working. They were out of drugs, and we saw this 13-year-old girl standing. She was literally making dolls out of old socks, and Dr. Michon, who was better English than I can, said, "See that look, that girl over there? She's like she's got curable leukemia, and we don't have any medicine for her." And I looked at Jerry and I said, like, so we're just going to go back home, getting our nice trucks and nice houses and just going about our business? He went, no, we can't. And I said, so we told Dr. Sean to give us her what she needed and said, don't tell her parents. Her, her dad was out of the picture, but her mom and her, uh, her mom's sister, her aunt, were caring for her and said, don't say anything because we don't know if we can pull this off. Well, <clears throat> when we got home, Bob Castleberry was a friend of mine. He was head of the pediatrics research department. I told him the story. He said, give me the paper. And we walked down the basement. He filled every prescription we needed. I sent half to Jerry. I kept half. We stuffed it in our coat pockets and our linings and backpacks. And, and by God's grace, we went right through security with no problems. So we get to the hospital we tell Dr. Michon, we lay it all out in his office floor, and we still got snow melting. It was a blizzard. We're still wet, snow dripping off of us, and he goes to get this mother of this child that she had already written her off is going to die. So you got to put yourself in her position. Mm. Somebody just said, your daughter's medicine showed up. So we hear this wailing, crying coming down the hall. Dr. Michon is having to help these two women, the mother and the aunt, down the hall. They're so crying so hard and she walks up to me and they both fall at our feet and they're kissing our boots and this lady looks up at me and says are you the Christ and Jerry <laughs> trying to bring some levity goes can I answer that <laughs> he goes I've known him all his life no he's not not him he, but, he said, <laughs> but he grabs a woman's face and he says but Christ sent us here for you and she starts wiping the snow off my boots with her hair because we're balling now. I mean, everybody's balling. So, and here, here's the point that changed my life forever. We get back on the plane. There's hardly anybody on this jet going from Moscow to New York. And Jerry and I just sit there and stare at the, at the seat cut in front of us for like hours. And we finally had, got the nerve up to look at each other and we started balling. And we said, like, can you believe God let us do that? Mm. He could have let anybody do that. And God spoke to me in my spirit. He said, if you'll follow after me, we call it, me and my son, after this, we call it chase after Christ. If you chase after Christ, men will chase after you. Mm. And it's all privilege if you want to get in on it. 
And I said, yes, sir. And 26 countries later, and life on wheels falls into that. But that woman and that girl, God spoke to me like, it, I, he could have let anybody do that, and we got to do it. And every time you speak the gospel or do something, life on wheels or something for us, it's a privilege. God could have let anybody do it. So that started my real journey on mission work. Wow. I'm glad uh, I'm glad I asked. <laughs> now everybody can hopefully get a sense of why I ask for stories. Um, wow, that's incredible. Uh, yeah. And God writes the best stories. Mm-hmm. And then we uh, said, give us five more kids and started, <laughs> went and got medicine started. And there's another whole lot of backstories on one of the doctors that saw my wife earlier on. Uh, six years later, Jerry called him up and said, can you donate some chemotherapy? Me and a friend of mine, Ed Gannon, going. And he goes, Gannon, he goes, I think I saw his wife at UAB. And he remembered us. Yeah. And so he donated all this medicine. Yeah. So that God was weaving this stuff together from way back. It's amazing how much that strengthens your faith too, to get in an impossible situation and then watch God unimpossible it. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, um, so let's talk more about, so that's your two guys' paths. Your guys' paths collide at this crisis pregnancy center. Um, kind of go more into the, the story of life on wheels, your first bus, your second bus, your third bus. Uh, and then I want to hear some of the testimonies of these, these 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 girls. And again, I know there's probably too many to count, but some of the ones that just really jump out mm-hmm. at you about the girls being on the bus and hearing the gospel and seeing their baby. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I I almost want to go in reverse order. I, I want I Whatever. want to, I, I'm going to tell one story about okay. the the girl that got on the bus. Yeah. And then I'll do I'll back up and do backstory. Some reason I think that might be powerful. Uh, just give you an idea of what we do. So we were, we were parked 33 feet in front of the abortion clinic in Montgomery in a lot that God provided for us, which is a really cool story too. But and a, a, a mother and her daughter were going into the abortion clinic, and uh, and they were they we they we were literally between them and the abortion clinic, and and um, we have free ultrasound signs and out in front of the bus, and the the mom says to her daughter, "Well, what would it hurt to just get on and?" We'll just see, you know, what yeah. we got. And so when they got on the bus, the the young lady had a black eye, pretty fresh black eye, and um, they they were pretty uh, upset. And they sat down and they they heard her story. And apparently, um, as soon as she found out she was pregnant, she told the father a baby, and he beat her up for it. And so he was currently in jail. Um, she is now got a black guy carrying his baby and, you know, that's a crisis, uh, you know, for anybody. I mean, you know, um, and so, uh, they take her to the back, they do the ultrasound and then tears, both of them crying. They see the baby, a little nine week baby. And it's, it's, a you know, on the ultrasound, we can blow that thing up. It can can look like a foot long. I mean, it's in, in the arms and legs. It's beautiful. And, um, and then they sat back down and 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 said, you know, we can't, uh, you know, we we it's a baby, and they decided to keep the baby. And then our girls presented the gospel, mm-hmm. and she prayed to receive Christ on that front couch in our bus. And you know, when a, when a woman changes her mind after she sees the ultrasound, we call that uh, an interception. Yeah. But if they come to Christ, that's a pick six. And yeah. so so that's one of my favorite stories. But but. But what motivated us is, is we knew that could happen. We knew that could be part of Montgomery's story and Alabama's story, and we knew we needed it because there was we were missing all these girls that were going in. And, 
And, and God assembled a team. Our, our team first met. There was 29 people that met in my mom's living room, and we, we began to pray about the possibility of a bus, and that was in August. And then we put together that board, and then Brian's gala happened in, uh, in uh, February, so six months after the first prayer meeting. And none of us know how to do this. I mean, this is not like we're professional, uh, you know, uh, 501c3 starters. I mean, you know, it, it was none of us had experience doing it, but we we had a vision and a passion for what could be. And and we began to pray and we began to pray, and other people began to come around us and more and more and more. And then and then I, I met with Jay Wolf. I love talking to Jay Wolf because he rhymes everything. So yeah. so I, I sat down with Jay Wolf because Jay Wolf has done so many great things with the First Baptist Montgomery. And I, was really coming to him to see if they can give us a little money. And it, it, Jay, Jay said, Matt, God's work done God's way will never let God's last, lack uh, God's resources. And mm. I would heard that before. <laughs> and then he said, where God guides, he provides. And then he said, if, if it's God's will, he'll pay the bill. <laughs> and, uh, and, so, and so when I left, I thought about that. And, you know, that has been the truth. Amen. M- money has not been... The impediment. Now we we constantly when God pours it in, we pour it out. So yeah. you know it's a very uh, it's I people always ask right. They come to you like kind of like in a, like man, how do I know if this is God's will for my life? I'm like, well, is anyone trying to give you money to do it? <laughs> like if they come up with some ministry, I don't know. I feel like yeah. maybe God wants me to do this. I'm like, well, one surefire way is if there's no resources flowing to it. it might exactly. might not be it now. I mean, it, it's not foolproof, yeah. but but I do think that what what Pastor Wolf was telling you there really is there's truth to it. And um, uh, you're a Presbyterian, you probably know the guy. Um, oh, I can't think. He had an orphanage, and I don't remember if it was South America or wherever it was. But this is in like in the 1800s, oh, yeah. and he would pray for provision. And he never he didn't have a donor development team. He didn't go out and ask, mm-hmm. but he knew that God would provide for these orphans that were in his care. Yeah. And he prayed, and without fail you know, some rich noble would like come by and be like, God told me to come over here and give you this yeah, money. And it was exactly yeah, what they needed. Yeah. And that would happen over and over. That was George Mueller. George Mueller. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, and, and he was famous for that. Like yeah. they, they'd tell one story where the orphanage orphans, they were out of completely out of food yeah. and uh, he had 300 orphans and um, it was breakfast time. And the, you know, he knew he had nothing. Yeah. And he told the people, he said, gather the children and put them in their seats. God's going to provide. Mm. And 300 orphans sat down to eat and rap, rap, rap on the door. And the door opens and uh, there's a baker standing there. And he said, I, I don't, I can't explain it, but I couldn't sleep. God kept me up. all. I've been baking all night long. And do you need any bread? So he gave him enough bread, and then rap, 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 and then it was a a milk truck that had come along. It broke down in front of milk thing. It broke down, and um, the milk was gonna go bad. And he said, "All this milk's gonna go bad. Do y'all need any milk?" And so he had enough milk, and it, and he just constantly provided. And I think if you if you align your will with God's will, I, I think of two verses: uh, Matthew six thirty three, "Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you." And then I think of uh, I think of John 15, you know, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask anything you wish and it'll be done for you. And that's kind of the passion and zeal that our board had. We we knew we were doing God's will. We knew uh, it would be effective, but we had no idea how much God would do. You know, since we started then, uh, we've seen now uh, almost 6,000 clients. In fact, um, um, 
5,659 clients in, in Montgomery alone. Well, we've had uh, 4,637 women decide to parent, but the number that we were really thankful for, 308 women had abortions scheduled that canceled uh, mm. their abortion, and that, that's a lot of babies. That's a, that's a whole school. You know, yeah. you know mm-hmm. uh, th- 231 women prayed to receive Christ in the back of the Montgomery bus alone, and and so we begin to see a vision for it. You know, once once we could see what it would do, and um, and all, uh, we begin to pray for a second bus. And Ed knows that story probably better mm-hmm. than anybody. You, you might tell that story. That was pretty neat. Yeah. When the, the need for a second bus came up, uh, you know, Matt, there was a used bus, a couple of used buses out there, and uh, it, I just couldn't. That just didn't feel right to me. So I kept trying to convince Matt. That, I said, Matt, God's got plenty of money. You know, last time I checked, he owned it all. <laughs> so I would say, let's keep praying. And I'm like, well, we might lose this used bus. And I said, well, if we do, then it wasn't meant to be, but let's keep praying. So I called a friend of mine. <clears throat> I'll give you the Cliff Note version. I called a friend of mine who's real connected across the country, and I said, we need $176,000 for a new bus. He goes, okay, let me make a phone call. 30 minutes later, he goes, where do you want the check sent? Mm. A few days later, we got a check for one hundred seventy-six thousand dollars in to buy a new bus. Yeah, yeah. And I had just, I was, I, I got voted down. My, I have a great board, and they all love the Lord. And I got voted down ten to one to not buy the used bus. And the, and I was so convinced that we need the used bus. And I slammed my hand on the table and I said, it would take a miracle to raise <laughs> that kind of money because what was about to happen, Planned Parenthood had been built here in Birmingham. And I didn't want a girl to ever walk in that building without walking past our bus. Mm-hmm. And and it, we only had months, you know, and, yeah. it, and it took us a year, the other one. And uh, and I said, it would take a miracle. And then two weeks later, that check came, and it, it was mm-hmm. the miracle we were looking for. And then, you know, it was neat because uh, the contractors that that uh, that were contracted to, to pour the asphalt for that uh, Planned Parenthood refused to provide the asphalt. Which was awesome. I'd love to know the name of that company, but that delayed them just long enough for us to get our licenses, and no woman ever walked into that Planned Parenthood without walking by our bus, mm-hmm. which was just a blessing. And uh, so the Lord's used that bus in Birmingham. You know, we've been going. Um, really, we started during COVID. You know, we put our first bus up here uh, February 2020. Uh, we've seen 757 clients. Uh, 54 women canceled an abortion. 54 people, I think it's interesting, the same number, but 54 women have prayed to receive Christ on the back of the bus. Um, it's a powerful tool in Birmingham, and we couldn't cover the whole city. See, Birmingham, more abortions come out of Jefferson County than any other county in the state, and really uh, significantly so. And so when we realized that almost a third of Alabama abortions come from this one county, we realized one bus wasn't going to be enough. So we we uh, began to pray about a second bus, and then uh, 100 Shares Birmingham got on our first bus and began to look at it and gave us a $75,000 grant, and then God raised the rest of it. And so we now thankfully have three buses, and we're taking that third bus to Tuscaloosa starting in March on uh, trying to see how we can cover Tuscaloosa and praying for a fourth. So the 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 return on our investment is so much that that we you know the Bible says zeal without knowledge is not good. I, I yeah. I'm probably zeal without knowledge, but yeah. the but the board brings the knowledge and uh, but but I would love to see a bus 
as many buses as can, but at least a bus to cover all the major cities, one for Tuscaloosa, one for Huntsville, two here. One in Birmingham. Oh, hit Mobile. Right, yeah, Mobile. Yeah. Mobile yeah. is on the on the list. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, we we we've had the opportunity to help kind of shepherd other ministries. Pollyanna McAdams founded a ministry that covers Tuscaloosa and they use the same buses we do through ICU Mobile. And uh She does Columbus. Yeah, that's what yeah. I mean. Columbus, mm-hmm. Columbus, Columbus, Georgia, because they're still doing abortions. Yeah. Uh, most East Alabama girls will abort in, in uh, Columbus. So it's, it's interesting. Usually it was the other way around, right? Mm-hmm. The ones over in Columbus would come over to Mm-hmm. Uh, Phoenix City and do the bad stuff and then go back to Georgia now and switched around. Yeah. <clears throat> well, that's incredible, guys. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any other questions I got. Like, because to me, you know, um, you know, I actually had an experience. I've never shared this with anybody publicly where it went the other way, but it, it had the effect on me, but not the girl. And so anybody that knows me knows I used to be a, a drug addict, you know, idiot, all those things. Uh, before God saved me, but <clears throat> I got a girl pregnant when I was, I, don't know, I guess I was like 21 ish. Um, and, um, she got pregnant. We went to one of those, you know, Christian crisis pregnancy centers or whatever. Like the, the guy counselor takes me back to a room. Girl counselor takes her back to a room. They do an ultrasound. You know, they pray with her. They talk to me. I'm all fired up. I'm like, man, I can't wait to be a dad. You know, um, super excited. They showed me the ultrasound. I was just like, man, you know, blown away by it. And, you know, the girl decided she wasn't, you know, she wasn't, she didn't want to. And so that mm-hmm. was, that was brutal. Uh, and it, and it, it messed me up pretty bad. And I really spiraled out of, you know, even more out of control into my drug addiction, and all that other stuff. Um, but I know the power of that ultrasound for me personally. And, and while it didn't, you know, didn't change her mind. Um, I know that it can, and I, I love what you guys are doing. Well, your story is 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 very common story because uh, they promise uh, these women that they're going to fix their crisis. Yeah, you know, they say, "Hey, look, you know, we can fix this. We can snuff it out, and you, no one have to know." And then it it plagues them for you know it takes a long time to heal from that. And yeah, ten year uh, average. Yeah, and 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 before healing comes to a woman, she's on ten year average. Yeah, and I'll have patients. They'll, they'll. I'll ask them, "Have you ever been pregnant?" And they'll tear up and tell me about something happened decades ago, and uh, that because they promised to fix it, and they and it's it's an it's a empty promise. It, they make it worse, and that's the way the devil does everything. Yeah. He promises sin's going to satisfy, and then he then it makes things worse. Yeah. And the shame that it causes. I you know I had a very a girl that I was very close friends with and I think she was like 15 or 16 and I won't go into the whole story, but she ended up having an abortion and she's like, well, you know, she, I mean, she's 15 or 16 years old. I mean, she doesn't, you know, um, and she had the abortion and she pretended like everything was okay. But I knew, you know, after talking to her that it wasn't, and she ended up, you know, from that shame kind of going and getting involved in, you know, other sins and deeper into, um, you know, it's basically no one really rejected her, but she, I think she felt the way to what she'd done. And there was a community that opened, you know, welcomed her with open arms. And that was your, you know, pro-abortion, LGBTQ, mm-hmm. you know, all those people. And she's really melted all the way into that scene because of what happened to her when she was 15 years old. I've mm-hmm. zeroed out in my mind that that's what happened mm-hmm. um, because of the shame she felt from doing it. So. Well, one of the most common lines we hear from uh, women who've been to the abortion clinic is we caught it in time. Yeah. And they, and they want to mm-hmm. believe that. You know, a woman's in a crisis. She wants to believe it. So yeah. when you got a, a so-called doctor sitting across from me saying we've caught it in time, they want to believe it. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's crazy. You know, in uh, even a lot of the medical industry, just the language they use towards it is almost like pregnancy is almost like a, a disease. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's very, very strange. So we have seven kids and we've been been through that a few times. <laughs> right. Um, and Christina's always like, I'm not handicapped. I'm pregnant. OK, <laughs> so um, now they tease her because she's, you know, she's 37 and they're like, you're so old. I'm like, you are. I mean, babe, you're getting pretty old. <laughs> <laughs> so. All right. You talk like that. It won't be number eight. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, do you guys have any other parting thoughts you want to share with the audience? I, I, I think I think the one thing I want to leave with the audience, uh, you know, I said earlier that, um, that it's never been about money that keeps us from running. It's usually about having enough people to yeah. staff the bus. And here in Birmingham, we, we are woefully short on volunteers. Okay. So we need volunteers, both drivers we need counselors to volunteer. We're trying to actively hire a sonographer. If you're an ultrasonographer and you're in the earshot of this podcast yeah. and you want to work in Birmingham saving babies, we will hire you and we'll interview you first, make sure yeah. you fit our mission. But 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 we would we would love uh we need people. And then we would like to be in churches because we started during COVID here in Birmingham and because of that it has not been a very open door into churches yet. We've only, you know, Briarwood's with us, uh, Guiding Light Church is with us. We've had several churches kind of step up. I, I'm going to forget to mention some by mentioning them. But, but we need to be in, in people's churches showing them the bus because every time we do that, three or four women will volunteer or we'll get some donors and just so they can see what we're doing. We're not a replacement for crisis pregnancy centers. We send women to the centers who get on the bus, so we're we're kind of a – compliment to what they're doing awesome you know my first wife uh, mary jane she used to say you know when god does miracles it's only miracles to us to him it's just what he does mm. and so i have to admit i'm gonna pick at you a little bit i, I get i've kind of grown tired of people going i never thought in my lifetime roe versus yeah. weight and i go well why'd you bother praying about it if you never thought yeah. it was going to happen because it you know it seemed to us a miracle but god's sovereignty he knew it all along yeah. and i say all that to say this Roe versus Wade was overturned, and uh, miraculously by some, sovereignty of God, obviously. But if if there's anybody that's hearing this is having a struggle, the hope is God still does miracles. Yeah. So I mean, look, if you don't believe it, look at Roe versus Wade; it's gone. Yeah. That's a miracle. I mean, like that. Like that. So your circumstances can change. So I just want to say, <laughs> never give up, never to lose hope, because we got to serve a God of miracles. Amen. That's incredible. Thank you guys so much for coming in. Uh, Thank you for what you do. Uh, It's incredible. Uh, And um, we will have in the show notes how you can find out more about Life on Wheels and how you guys can participate. We have a huge Birmingham audience, so calling on you guys uh, to look into that and and see if that's something that God may be calling you guys to do. Well, guys, thank you so much uh, for coming in and talking about this. And and for our listeners, um, we're going to do another segment where we're going to jump into how Roe v. Wade is affecting ministries like Life on Wheels and really dive into um, kind of all the different approaches to getting women to carry to full term and how theirs fits in. So you, I, you don't want to miss that segment. And the way that you don't do that, you go sign up, join the fight, uh, become an 1819 News member. Uh, And under the Your Membership Portal on the website, uh, we will have that third segment for you. But until next time, put your trust in God and keep your powder dry. Mm -hmm.